All right, amen? All right, let's open our Bibles. As Gino mentioned, we're going through the book of Ezekiel. Uh, We find ourselves in chapter 28. I understand we have a number of French foreign exchange students here tonight, so I'm also going to do my message in French. Open le Bible. Some of you didn't catch that, I'm sure, but anyway. Uh, Ezekiel 28. As far as I know, Ezekiel never went to France, uh, but uh, this is a message which uh, I'm calling a thorn in your Sidon, and uh, you'll see why as we get to the later verses. We're looking at chapters 28, verses 20 through 26. All right, here we go. Some things just go together. If I say peanut butter and... Salt and pork and there's always one. There's always one. Uh, Laurel and Cheech and Minneapolis and all right. Now, if you read the Bible, whenever you think of the city of Sidon, I didn't mean to distract you. I just, you know, some of you Cheech and Chong friends, you know. It's from my past. There's only so much left in my mind. Uh, if you read the Bible, by the way, has anybody, does anybody here eat apple pie with cheese? Raise your hand if you do. Okay, a couple of you. Marie Callender does, right? Do you ever see, you know, that's their saying, apple pie without a cheese is like a kiss without a squeeze. How many of you knew that? Well, that's the most famous thing in restaurant history. Go to Marie Calendar. It's on all of their stuff. Are you having trouble with me? You want me to, you want me to talk louder or in French? Okay. All right. So anyway, if you read the Bible, whenever you think of the city of Sidon, you automatically associate it with the city of Tyre. Tyre and Sidon is a phrase that occurs at least 13 times. Nothing wrong with thinking of them together, but you should really think of Israel when you hear them mentioned. In fact, you should always think of Israel whenever cities or nations are mentioned in the Bible because oftentimes they are in relation to that, that God is bringing them up. God made unconditional promises to Israel that must be fulfilled. One of the Bible's greatest predictions about Israel, of course, already came to pass in 1948 when Israel became a modern nation again. The rebirth of the Jewish state should have put aside any doubts that God is going to fulfill all of His promises to Israel. Israel, of course, very important to end times prophecy. There are many scriptures that indicate Israel will be the main setting for the key tribulation events. For example, Zechariah 12, 2 and 3. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. Then we read in Revelation 11, chapter 11, verse 7, When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them, speaking of the two special witnesses. And then in verse 8, Their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, 
which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And so, again, talking about Jerusalem. And then Matthew 24, 15 and 16, our Lord Jesus Christ said, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, which of course is the temple in Jerusalem, and then he says in verse 16, let those who are where? In Judea flee to the mountains. And so mo- the, the key end times events during the great tribulation are going to take place in Israel and specifically in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus also said that Jerusalem would be trampled down until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. One of those references is in the Gospel of Luke. These times of the Gentiles are when Israel is being oppressed by the Gentile nations of the world. They are the years when they are without a king and dominated, as it were, by Gentile powers. The times of the Gentiles began in 586 B.C. and will not end for Israel until their rightful king, Jesus Christ, comes to reign on the throne of David and Jerusalem becomes the center of the kingdom. The prophecies we're reading in Ezekiel were being given right around 586 B.C., just before the final seize against Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Ezekiel is in a section describing the rise and fall of seven Gentile powers, always though it is with an eye to the eventual restoration of Israel. And so, though the times of the Gentiles are beginning at this point in history, as Nebuchadnezzar comes and destroys Jerusalem, From that time until now and beyond now, times of the Gentiles, God makes it clear that Israel is at the center of His plan. Uh, In this short section that's left at the end of chapter 28, Ezekiel pronounces a quick judgment upon the city of Sidon, then reminds us uh, in the closing verses of the chapter, it's all about Israel. Verse 20, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward Sidon, and prophecy against her. Sidon was on the Mediterranean coast. It's about 20 miles from the city of Tyre. Verse 22, say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Sidon. I will be glorified in your midst, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I execute judgments in her and am hallowed in her. God is going to be glorified, we would say, one way or the other. He can be glorified in the repentance and faith of a city like he was in Nineveh after the preaching of Jonah. I, liked, I love Jonah so much and the, just that whole picture of the Ninevites and that wicked city of the Assyrians and Jonah, you know, he, you know, he didn't really have his heart in it. He didn't want to, to share the Lord with those people, but he shared God's word. They got saved, they repented, and God spared them. If no repentance is forthcoming from a people, God is glorified in judgment against their sin, like He was in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so one way or the other, God's going to be glorified. I vote as a citizen for repentance and faith, don't you? That would be the way to go. What does it mean to repent? Let's take a few minutes and talk about this. The word itself means to change one's mind. As it's used in the Bible... True repentance will result in a change of behavior as well. So a good working definition of biblical repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of behavior. Do you see that visual aid there? I pointed to my head. I'm sorry. What do you change your mind about? 
Well, there are different answers to that question, but the bottom line seems to be you change your mind about Jesus Christ. For example, in Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, he concludes with a call for the people to repent. But repent from what? Well, Peter's calling the people who rejected Jesus to change their minds about Him and to recognize, as he says in verse 36, that He is indeed Lord and Christ. And so Peter is calling the people to change their minds from rejection of Christ as the Messiah to faith in Him as Messiah and Savior. And so it's a change of mind about Jesus Christ. Theologian Charles Ryrie writes, and he says, I quote, Indeed, before any of us came to Christ, we had some conception of Him. Perhaps it was fuzzy, uh, perhaps it was reasonably clear, perhaps it was wrong. But we turned from whatever conception we had and turned to Him as our Savior from sin, and that repentance brought eternal salvation. And so, uh, people have some concept perhaps of who Jesus is, they've heard of Jesus, maybe they've never heard of Jesus, but that in itself is a way of thinking about Him. And then when you share Christ with somebody, they change their mind about who Jesus is. They understand that He is the God-man, that He came into the world to live a sinless life and then to die on a cross and to rise from the dead after the third day, that He took our place on the cross so that God could forgive our sin and give us eternal life, so that God could justify us while we were yet sinners and give us eternal life. And so we change our mind about who Jesus is. Now, as a result of changing your mind about Jesus, you will turn from your sin. Uh, Not talking specifically about the topic of repentance, but Paul, when he talks to the Thessalonians, he says, here's what happened to you. You turn to God from idols. In other words, they didn't give up their idolatry and then figure out, you know, in order to come to God, they came to God. They changed their mind about who God was when Paul preached the gospel and it resulted in a change of behavior. And so repentance doesn't mean you quit sinning and then come to Jesus. It's not a work that you do to qualify for salvation. You change your mind about Jesus. You see Him as He really is, as Lord and Savior, and the result is a change in behavior because you are born again. I only mention this so that we don't confuse people when telling them to repent as if we're asking them to do something about their sin apart from the power of God. So if I tell a person they need to repent, what I really mean, I think, is that they need to believe in Jesus Christ. They need to have the right understanding of who Jesus is. I don't want them to get the idea that they need to go home and clean up their life. Then they can come to church and be religious. And it's very important because I think the normal attitude we have about repentance is that it's something I do. It includes that, but it's really believing in Jesus Christ. So you can repent, in a sense, without ever getting saved. We might call it reform. Like some of us who were drunks or druggies and then we changed our mind about our particular habits, got help in a program or by personal discipline, you know, stayed clean and sober, but we weren't necessarily saved. In fact, we weren't saved at all. I I went through many of these transformations in my life when I was uh, doing drugs and drinking as uh, as a young person, very young, you know, in junior high and high school. 
I had uh, such a horrible drug experience one night on mescaline that I swore off psychedelic drugs. I, I was never going to take psychedelic drugs again. I figured I would just drink myself into oblivion. No one had explained to me that alcohol was a poison and that I would eventually kill myself doing that. It would just be a slower death. So I, I gave up psychedelic drugs. and I was afraid of them. So I, I get into college. I'm not a Christian. And before I even start my first class at UC Riverside, I give myself alcohol poisoning because I drank so much one night. I thought I was going to die. Uh, I, maybe I did die. I don't know. You know, it was terrible. And so I swore off that. And so you can reform. You can repent for a while. And so I'm, I'm repenting. of me- People would come and say, you want some mescaline? No, I've repented of that. I don't do that anymore. I'm into tequila now or whatever. You know, I want some tequila? No, I can't drink that anymore. I'm just, I'm like the world's most interesting man. I just drink you know, dos equis or whatever and stuff. And, and you go through your life making these reforms but, and repenting, but you're not saved. We need to repent. We need to believe and have faith in Jesus Christ. Turn to God. Understand who Jesus is. Turning to Him from our idols, from our sin. Now, Sidon chose judgment over repentance. Verse 23, For I will send pestilence upon her and blood in her streets. The wounded shall be judged in her midst by the sword against her on every side, then they shall know I am the Lord. Now, this was literally fulfilled in Sidon at least twice in history that we know of. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army besieged it on every side, and Artaxerxes, the Persian, later took it and destroyed it as well. It actually is going to be fulfilled again during the future Great Tribulation when the bold judgments are poured out upon the earth. Sidon will be included in that according to Revelation. And then it says, then they shall know that I am the Lord. God works in and through history to make himself known. His desire is to save. But if they will not be saved, God must still judge sin and he will be glorified in the judgment of it. Verse 24, and there shall no longer be a pricking briar or a painful thorn for the house of Israel from among all those who are around them who despise them. Then they shall know that I am the Lord God. And so the Sidonians are here said to have exerted a wicked influence on the Israelites. According to 1 Kings chapter 16, the sinful practices of Baal worship had entered Israel through, and I quote, Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And so she was the one who brought the worship of Baal uh, into the northern kingdom of Israel. Jezebel means, where is the prince? The prince, in this case, is the god Baal. The Sidonians believed that vegetation on the earth's surface died in winter because Baal was visiting the underworld, or what they called the land of the dead. Uh, Now, sometimes, do you ever wonder how many of these people really super believe these things? You know, like, where is it? Um, You guys are going to remember this. Oh, it's, it's somewhere when you're coming back from the, through Mojave, because we came back there not too long ago after my parents' anniversary, and off to the, off to the side as you're coming back, uh, well, actually, it's there both ways, but off to the side when you're coming back, there's this old beat-up boat that's on blocks, and it's called the SS Minnow. Have you ever seen that? Have anybody seen, do you remember the SS Minnow? Yeah, if you drive the 58 
through Mojave and Tehachapi. You look over there in the SS Minnows over there. I've often wondered, you know, I fantasize thinking, what if, you know, uh, what if a thousand years from now when, you know, these explorers, you know, the civilization gets wiped out and a thousand years from now people, you know, come out of the ground and, you know, and with the seeds that they've planted and all this crazy stuff and they come through Tehachapi and they see the SS Minnow over there, what are they going to think was going on in Tehachapi? They're going to think that the water level was up there, that, you know, that somehow they'll spin off like these crazy scientists do when they find these things and they say, oh, we've discovered early man. You know, well, we've got, we've got, you know, uh, skulls over here and we've got legs over here. They don't match, but we'll put them together with super glue. You know, we have, you know, I mean, a lot of times you just don't know, you know, you know, uh, my favorite one, Ken Ham talks about, they, they find monkey skulls with iron tools and they conclude that they have a transitional species from monkey to man. In reality, what you have is people eating monkey brains using tools and leaving the, you know, uh, but, and so you just don't know what's going on sometimes. And so when I, I read this stuff and I think, oh, the Sidonians thought that Baal was visiting the underworld. Are, really? Did they? I mean, I mean, that might have been the lore, you know. It's got, to, to me, it's like Halloween. I mean, what would people think if they saw us our culture during Halloween, do we, you know, do people actually believe all the things that... Anyway, I'm off on a tangent now, but culturally, the Sidonians thought that Baal visited the underworld and, and so they would go around shouting as a ritual in the spring, where is the prince or Jezebel, Jezebel, and so that's the meaning of Jezebel's name. She was a, a priestess of Baal. Now, in keeping with this theme, the Sidonians would recognize their wicked influence. Uh, excuse me, keeping with the theme, the Sidonians would recognize their wicked influence is compared to a pricking briar or a painful thorn. Hence, my very creative title uh, tonight, right? Thorn, Sidon, a thorn in your Sidon. I was very happy with that one. Now, they might think themselves a beautiful flower. But God said they were nothing more than the thorn. I think it's pretty amazing that God stoops to put things in ways the people he was addressing can understand. So, Sidon, you think you're a flower? Yeah, you're the thorn on the flower. We need to try really hard to meet people right where they are at. Paul the Apostle said he would become all things to all men. Among Jews, he respected Judaism without being stumbled by it, without embracing it as needful for salvation, he had a proper understanding. He said, I can, I can hang with the Jews. I don't adopt their customs as a means of salvation, but uh, it, it doesn't bother me to be around them with all of their rituals and customs. I want to reach them for Jesus Christ. Around Gentiles, he was like them, only never crossing boundaries into sinful behavior. The goal of it was to win them to Jesus Christ. And so if he went over to a Gentile's house and they wanted to serve pork short ribs at their steak and study, uh, he was down with it. He didn't say, no, I'm an Orthodox Jew and I can't eat that. He says, hey, let's go. You know? Now, he wouldn't go into the temple and eat the meat sacrificed to the idols because he said that's going to stumble somebody. So, but Paul, his desire was just to save people, to share the gospel with them. And so he adapted himself and he adopted himself so that he could win the most. No matter how many times I get pricked, I still try to pick roses without gloves. Do you ever do that? You think, I've got to trim the... I, I don't know, I don't really want to wear gloves. And so you think, oh, there's no thorns there. Oh, yes, there are. The little baby thorns that get under your skin and then you can't get them out. 
always get stuck. Maybe we should learn something from the death of gardener Jeannie Harris. True story. Her husband Norman told how she complained of a burning sensation while working, uh, cleaning in the house. She said her left elbow was swollen as if she had been stung. Their son Jeffrey said she told me she'd pricked herself on the finger with a rose thorn. I don't remember which finger, but it was on the left hand. It seemed to be getting worse with the swelling going down her arm. Surgeons at Cheltenham General Hospital, this is in England, tried to cut away the infection, but Jeannie died within days. She died from a flesh-eating infection after pricking her finger on a rose. And so it triggered in her some kind of a latent flesh-eating virus that she had. And I was thinking about that. If you reach for the world, if you prick yourself and your flesh gets involved, you're going to be like a malignant infection in your walk with the Lord. And so that's the picture. The, the, you know, the, the Sidonians, got, they thought that they were this beautiful flower. God says, no, you're nothing but a thorn. You came, you pricked Israel, and, and you brought fleshly practices in and uh, you know, idolatry and all these kinds of things. And so we want to be careful when we reach for the world. Uh, in fact, we don't want to do it. And so Ezekiel's situation now turns to Israel in the remaining two verses. Verse 25, Thus says the Lord God, When I have gathered the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered and am hollowed in them in the sight of the Gentiles, then they will dwell in their own land, which I gave to my servant Jacob, and they will dwell safely there, build houses, plant vineyards. Yes, they will dwell securely when I execute judgments on all those around them who despise them. Then they shall know that I am the Lord their God. Now, the land promise made to Abraham in Genesis and renewed to Jacob also in Genesis never been revoked. Israel will live in her own land because God has given it to Jacob. After the Babylonian captivity, some Israelites did go back to the land, but they did not live there in safety. There has been a Jewish presence in the land continually through the centuries, albeit small, uh, but certainly there hasn't been this kind of restoration of Israel that we're reading about. From the destruction of Sidon, the Lord has jumped past our own time, past the Great Tribulation, past the Battle of Armageddon, all the way to the second coming of the Lord. He's talking here about His coming to establish the kingdom on the earth that, and then the times of the Gentiles will be fulfilled and will end. It may be the times of the Gentiles, but that only further emphasizes God's love for Israel. Uh, it, you know, when I think I live in the times of the Gentiles, it's nothing to get excited about. It means that God is disciplining His people Israel. It's a wonderful thing because now the gospel goes out uh, to every people, tribe, nation, and tongue, including the Jews. So it's not that Jews can't get saved. It's that God isn't dealing nationally with Israel in terms of that. But He's going to deal with them again. He loves Israel and will keep His promises. And that's why we always bring before you things regarding prophecy and so many of them uh, revolve around Israel. Uh, keep looking to Jerusalem. Keep following the trends of fulfilled Bible prophecy. But most important, keep looking up because your redemption draws near. Amen? Amen.